What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 280 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's been a little while. It is Tuesday evening, and I am joined, as often, by America's favorite Braves fan, Scott Coleman. <laughs> Hello, sir. I'll put that in my Twitter bio tonight. America's favorite Braves fan. Listen, uh, that's what you are. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's good to be on. This is uh, this is about as good as it gets during the sports year, uh, in my opinion. You have, of course, baseball less than 10 days away now. I think we're officially nine days as of recording this. You have March Madness uh, for college football. You have uh, the draft coming up, and you have spring uh, spring workout, spring ball. You have the NBA and NHL in full swing. So this is this is a really good time of the sports year. I'm, I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Absolutely. Uh, it's been real busy uh, in the basketball universe, but the Braves are ramping up too, and we're getting there. I know we've. I know I've admitted this before on the podcast. I'm not the biggest spring training guy in the world. I got to be honest. Uh, I do pay attention, but not in the way that some do. Like there's lots. Of, there's lots of live tweeting going on right now, and I can't. I can't do it for spring training. I appreciate. I appreciate everyone's efforts, though. Honestly, yeah. it's, it's helping me follow along. If nothing else, you know, I'll, I'll be I'll be at work and like people are like talking about, you know, pitch approach in the sixth inning of the Braves game, and it's like, all right, well, I, I appreciate this, guys. You're <laughs> helping me get, get my get my prep done for the podcast. Yeah, no, I learned, like you said, I, I, the extent of my following, unless it's like a weekend where the game is on MLB Network or something, um, I, I really, I, I kind of follow along through people who live tweet it. So yes, I appreciate it. People will say, oh, that was a good, you know, he was down 0-2 and then he came back to get a double in the gap. That, that's that's good to know. But I'm with you. I think for spring training for me, it's really just have everyone shake off the rust, stay healthy. Thankfully, the Braves... I'm knocking on wood. So far, the Braves have had a very healthy spring, and you just hope that they're able to finish up this last week and, and shift to the regular season here. Yeah, so I got a couple questions about like why we haven't done more on the spring training, and that, that's really the reason. Like I think it's it matters on some level, but I think it's very often overblown, Like especially the numbers and how guys look, it definitely matters, but that kind of explains it. So people that were asking that either in the comments or on Twitter, that is sort of the explanation. Um, I will say, before we dive into the main event on this podcast, which is the lineup preview, um, there's a couple of you know position battles going on, bullpen stuff. You know, still about a week left in spring training. The Braves open nine days from now as we're talking. But they're, the latest, like, roster projections from Dave O'Brien and Mark Bowman have been out the last couple of days. There's, there's a few battles going on, one, in the, one at the end of the bullpen and then one in the utility spots, basically, um, on the bench. Obviously, we've done previews on both the bullpen and the bench already. If you want to listen to those, if you missed those, they're definitely still available and largely relevant, not all, not all the way through, but most of them. But it seems like... And maybe you can correct me if you disagree with me, Scott. But um, it seems like Jake Lamb and Enderenciarte are considered to be relative locks for the bench. And then you figure, obviously, one more catcher, whether it's whether it's Contreras or Jackson. Mm-hmm. And then you have these these last two spots. And recently, um, Adrianza has come on. He's been incredible in the spring to the point where, like, the guys are talking about him like he's not a lock, but is leaning towards he's going to make the team. You have Camargo. You have Kipnis. Um, do you have any thoughts on where they should go here or what they're actually going to do? Because I think we're all kind of guessing what they're going to do, but where would you be right now on the bench if you had a choice? Yeah, I, th- I think because obviously we've talked about Ender ad nauseum on this podcast, but because he is owed real money, like I saw a couple folks going back and forth this past week about, well, they could just release him or whatever, but one, they don't exactly have great other options. And two, um, you, you don't know that Christian Pache is going to just set the world on fire. And inevitably there's going to be an injury of some kind for one of the outfielders. So I'm with you. I'd probably put Ender at the top of the list for those reasons. <clears throat> and then Jake Lamb has not had the best spring. Not that you want to evaluate 30 or 40 plate appearances for a guy who's been around the big leagues for five or six years now. But I think because he does bring an element of, of left-handed power uh, potentially off the bench. He's also, of course, plays third base, which looking at the Braves roster, there's really two spots in the order where you have a little bit of a question mark or even a big question mark. Um, so I think those two are for sure in there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with backup catcher. There's been, uh, of course, Alex Jackson. Jackson is, has been presumed the front runner, though Mark Bowman, friend of the program, wrote this week that maybe the Braves consider carrying William Contreras for the first month. While there's no minor league season, 
let him sit with Travis Darno every day, learn at the big league level. He's not going to play every other night, but maybe two or three starts. Have Contreras up for the first month and then reevaluate. If you want to send him down to the minors, he's probably going to get a little better seasoning in Atlanta with Darno than he would be playing at the alternate side. So I think those those two, I guess, and then of course you have to have a backup catcher of some kind. Though because Travis Darno is playing most every night at least to begin the year i don't think it's as big of a decision as as what some have made it out to be yeah it matters and i think it's really weird with the lack of triple a early in the year to where like maybe you just want Contreras to play a little bit which is uh a little bit strange but i don't really have a huge thought either way there like i can see both sides i think Contreras. We, everyone agrees Contreras is the more interesting prospect between him and jackson it's just whether sort of a philosophical approach thing and if he can't play anywhere else you might as well have him in the big league club is kind of where i will come down on that if it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. and have impact yeah. um but anyway there's that stuff and by the way jake lamb had a good day today um i know you know before that he had been getting there was there's lots of rumblings that i don't always I, I say on twitter people have not been thrilled with jake lamb but he had a double and a home run today so maybe that helps him um yeah. and i think even even with that the way that the, that the big guys were talking was that he was kind of a lock anyway so i'm sure that helps to cement him and I, I think he actually is the only one that has some guaranteed money as well that also matters on some level here so sure. yeah i think that's probably going to be the case you know adrianza if he makes it you're choosing between Camargo, Kipnis. I know Sandoval is like a thing, but I, I can't imagine him carrying Sandoval at this point. I'll be pretty surprised if that happens. Um, yeah. Do you have yeah. Camargo I mean, versus if, Kipnis if, thoughts? I mean, I don't know at this point. Camargo's, I, Camargo's, I guess, Camargo's so weird. <laughs> you know, it, if you carry Adrianza, I think it probably helps Jason Kipnis more than Camargo because then Camargo is, I mean, his role at that point is like the backup backup shortstop and backup backup third baseman you know like there's not a a real clear path to Camargo being anything other than just a a pinch hitter well and the theory with Camargo is that maybe he's maybe he's your backup shortstop but if you keep Adrianza that doesn't right that's kind of his only not only that's his that's one of his big appeals versus Kipnis is that he can play shortstop and or always theory in theory play shortstop but if Adrianza's there like that that's one off of the list at a minute right exactly It, it just kind of negates the real value of and if you're talking about an iron man who never gets hurt like a freddie freeman type maybe or or someone like that but dansby swanson has a pretty lengthy injury list in his young career so you do need that valuable backup shortstop ready to go so i don't know i mean jason kipnis he's a long time veteran if if you do not want to overanalyze three or four weeks of spring training games um, I know they value him in the clubhouse tremendously, or at least would like to if the bench shakes out that way. So who knows? I would imagine it's probably 50-50 at this point if you assume. It would be hard for me to think they're not going to put Adrianza on the roster after just like setting spring ablaze. And he is a guy who, with the Twins, had some legitimately good moments at the big league level. So if it's between those two, I would imagine it's kind of a coin flip. And uh, But it would be... Interesting to know how the Braves feel about Camargo. He has been around for a while now, of course, had the great 2018, but has been all downhill from there. So we will see. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we're not reporting anything, but the the tenor of the reporting certainly seems to say that Adrianza is a front runner now to make the team. Uh, so we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, bullpen wise. You know, who knows all kinds of stuff about, you know, there's guys with no options like Luke Jackson and Grant Dayton. Um, one of the projections, I believe it was Bowman that had Sean Newcomb in the bullpen to open the season. That was as of Sunday. Um, and DOB had Nate Jones in the bullpen. So there's obviously some uncertainty at the end of the bullpen. The one thing that was interesting to me is that Bowman has now written twice in the last few days that the Braves are expected to carry an eight man bullpen, even at the beginning of the year when they don't need a fifth starter, which is interesting to me. Because that means there's one less spot. There was potential to have nine, uh, but that was, they're not going to do that. And also, uh, Josh Tomlin's in the lock category. Uh, I saw hmm. that, which I thought was interesting. Not that I'm terribly surprised, but uh, in case there was any doubt about Josh Tomlin, it seems yeah. like he's going to be on the team. Well, and I again, November feels like a lifetime ago, just with everything going on in the world. But Tomlin does have a guaranteed deal, um, which I didn't realize until like two weeks ago. So because you know you can hand him the ball once every week or two and have him throw 75 pitches when a pitcher, when your starter gets hurt or that's a 10-run lead or a 10-run deficit. I guess he's a lock. He is not sexy. 
He did serve in a couple of higher leverage roles at points last year, even in the shortened 60-game season. But I would sure think and, and honestly hope that he will be the eighth man in the bullpen and just kind of eat innings. The Braves clearly value him, and he does do some good work. Of course, Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson last year at different times credited Tomlin for the work he had done with them. Uh, so they, they value him in that bullpen as the as the last man off the bench and I guess if you're talking about the 26th man on your roster, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, no issue with me either. And, you know, there are guys like Edwards Jr. and Newcomb, and I don't really have huge takes, honestly. Like, the end of the bullpen is what it is, and we'll react to it if we know it before our last podcast, before the season starts. But, um, you know, there's basically five locks plus Tomlin, so there's two spots left, and you have a bunch of guys for those two spots. It's Newcomb, it's Dayton, it's Edwards, it's Jones, Jackson... Uh, you know, Jacob Webb, all those names in one pile. So uh, (laughs) they're all kind of the same. They're all kind of different in some ways, but uh, I have no more thoughts on that. Yeah, we'll see. They're going to run through 15 bullpen arms by the end of the year. I mean, maybe more. You would think. It's just the way that bullpens work anymore. You have a couple of guys who are absolute locks. They're going to have their roles as long as they're healthy. But yeah, we're going to be talking about a whole lot of different options and we'll see where they go over the next week. Absolutely. All right. With all that out of the way, we'll get to the lineup preview in a moment. But first, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Scott, let us dive in to the lineup, our final like positional preview we do have one more podcast coming with some predictions we're trying to have a three-man group with eric joining us to get our final takes off next week but for now the lineup is the last thing and uh the lineup was awesome last year we discussed this a lot on this podcast but i want to start off before we get to like the players for this year is just talk about how good the lineup was last year for a second um they finished 2020 Fourth in baseball in Fangraph's war as a position player group, which is obviously excellent. They were number one in offensive war by Fangraph's. They were number two in runs, number two in home runs, number three in WRC+, number one in WOBA, number one in OBP, tied for first in slugging. So you can't ask for much more than that, quite obviously. Uh, and they also, with that as a backdrop, they're now, they're projected to be sixth in Fangraph's war by, by position players this year, which is still really, really good. Um, and broadly speaking, there's a few guys that you would expect to be a little worse. This is not shade on any of these guys, but I think Freddie Freeman is probably going to be a little worse than he was last year because he was so good. <laughs> How uh, dare you? He obviously could be that. He could do that again. I'm not saying he couldn't, but as yeah. a projection, he probably sure. is not going to be quite that good on a per game basis. Save for Marcelo Zuna, who was incredible last season. Uh, and Travis Darno, I think, is the other guy that I think you can't necessarily project to be quite as good. On the flip side, Ronald Acuna, you would think, would be probably better because he did not have the greatest batting average. He missed, missed some games, all that. He's an MVP, he's obviously an MVP candidate. Um, Ozzy Albies played like half the season and was not great when he played. Um, those are two guys who should be better. And then maybe even like Austin Riley, you would hope would be better than he was a year ago. Um, and even center, even the non-Ronald Acuna center field time, like Ronnie played about half the games last year in center, but it, when it was Ender, it was pretty ugly. So there, there are moments, there are places in the lineup to be better, places in the lineup to be worse. I guess before we dive in, Scott, how do you hmm. feel about this group? Because it's, it's pretty good. We, we can all agree on that, I think. Yeah, there's, there's a ton to like. 
of course, you're talking about such a good group at the top with with Acuna. Presumably, it seems like Ozzy Albies will probably bat second, at least to begin the year. Of course, these things are flexible, but when you're talking about a top four of Acuna, Ozzy, Freddie, and Ozuna, I mean, that's as good as it gets in baseball. Um, I'm with you. I, Travis Darno was out of his mind last year, and really he's been out of his mind since he went to Tampa Bay in 2019. I think it's inevitable there's going to be some regression there for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, you, you talk about catching in the Atlanta summers. I've talked about this before. There is a reason the Braves always carry two pretty good catchers on their roster. It, it is impossible to expect a catcher to hold up over a full year while catching in the middle of an Atlanta summer, it's just brutal on your body, physically, mentally. Um, and as good as he was last year, uh, he had like a BABIP above 400, if memory serves. It was very, very high. He did hit the ball hard, which of course leads to a higher batting average on balls in play. But I think he's going to come back to earth a little bit. Um, and, and then Dansby Swanson is a little bit of a wild card in the fact that we kind of now know that when Dansby is healthy, he's a genuinely good hitter yep but that has not been the case over a full 162 game season yet we got teased last year he was healthy 60 games even though he is a little bit of a roller coaster where he's on hot and cold stretches um dansby can be very good he can also be uh you know you, you snap your fingers and suddenly there's an injury we saw in 2019 it looked like he was finally about to break out of course had the I don't even remember what kind of injury he had. He was never really the same in the second half. So um, this group as a whole could be very, very good. And you just hope, as we said, we hope for healthy years out of the big, the big six, I guess we'll call them. And then <laughs> there's, there's some real upside with, with uh, Riley and Pache at the bottom. Yeah. So well, I think I said it a second ago, but the Braves are projected sixth in Fangraphs war for the position players. And that's in major league baseball, not, not just the national league. So that's obviously a pretty, uh, pretty lofty number. And number one in the NL East in position player war, which I agree with. I think, I think the Braves do have the best lineup in the division. That definitely matters. And we discussed the, the division at, at nauseum in the last podcast with, with Joe Lucci Joe and I. But I guess we'll dive in now to the, like position by position just kind of quickly. We'll obviously not spend as much time on like Freddie Freeman because he's really good and that's pretty obvious. But um, Darno, let's go. Let's, let's start catcher first. Darno is the headliner there, uh, and we, we just we both just talked about him. But just for some numbers from last year. He slugged 533 and had a 144 WRC plus. So when we both say that he's due for some regression, it doesn't mean that he's going to be bad. It's that he's not going to be, you know, Johnny Bench basically. That's what he was last <laughs> yeah. season, uh, yeah. which is fine. And that was it was 44 games. That's actually a lot. 60 game season. He was a, he was a top five catcher in baseball last year by most metrics. Um, this year, the Braves are projected to be 13th as a position group at catcher. But that is with 2.2 war for Darno and 0.0 for everybody else. So if it's just Darno, he'd be a lot higher. It's just that the Braves, you know, the young guys behind him have no depth, like in terms of like sample size to be banking on. It is reasonable to me that the Braves might have some problems with either Jackson or or Contreras. Contreras is obviously really talented, but you can't assume those guys are going to be any good this year. Quite frankly, you're you're really wrapped up in. Darno being good, and if he's good, then there's no problem, and he's going to play more than you might expect. But there's going to be you know a quarter of the games or more that he doesn't play, and that does matter as well. He hasn't been incredibly durable in his career necessarily, and they kind of need him to be, honestly. Yeah. So I'm going to throw one more thing at you, then let, and then let, let you respond. This is his projected line by Fangraphs: 442 plate appearances, 262. 324 and 441 so about a 760 ops that is notably better than his career numbers which are and that would definitely be a better than average line for a catcher does that strike you as appropriate is it low like how do you kind of feel about darno heading into the season because he's tough to project honestly he really is yeah he is i think clearly he has figured something out in the middle stages of his career here um, his numbers, his career numbers are being dragged down considerably by the first couple of years when he was with the Mets and just wasn't healthy. But yeah, I think uh, his career WRC plus now sits at 101. I would probably take the over on that. Actually, I would pretty, pretty comfortably take the over on that. I was looking at his numbers with Tampa Bay when he had his mini breakout in 2019 had like a 118 WRC plus, which is very good for a catcher, especially considering the 
the landscape of catching around big league baseball. So nobody in there can realistically expect him to be just like this godly offensive figure as he was last year. He was a silver slugger winner, uh, better than the likes of JT Realmuto and Yasmani Grandal. Uh, but clearly he has figured something out. He worked well with the Braves last year. He's uh, hits the ball incredibly hard. If you look at his batted ball profile on baseball savant, he does everything you want from a hitter in terms of exit velocity and hard hit rate. He elevates the ball, which, of course, is important the way the ball carries now. So uh, I think he's going to have another good year, maybe not quite all-star level Travis Darno as we saw last year. But even if, as you just said, even if he regresses just a little bit, the Braves are in good hands. Yeah, I think if he is healthy, or at least relatively so, I have no concerns. Like even Even if when he regresses a little bit, he should be an average or better catcher. My only concern is what happens if he's when he's not playing and or when he when or if he gets hurt, um, because I just don't know. Like I think we're, I'm pretty confident that Alex Jackson is not going to be very good if he plays. With all, all due respect to Alex Jackson, uh, he's not going to hit. I don't think there's no there's no evidence that he's going to be able to hit. Um, so if that's, I, I would think, maybe even assume that if Darno got hurt, they would go to Contreras every day or close to it. I mean, not every day, but as the as the primary guy. Would you agree with that? Because I think he just has mm-hmm. so much more talent that I'd be surprised if they didn't do that, if there was a reason to. Yeah, I, I think so. I think Contreras, obviously, you would prefer that he plays another full year close to it in the minors. But I think if, if Darno was seriously injured... Like, yeah, for, I, like, for like three weeks or something, a month. Yeah, if, if it's, if it's going to be for a couple weeks, then yes, Contreras and Jackson, you just hope that they do okay. If it was a serious, serious injury, I think they would almost have to look for exterior help, but obviously that's that's impossible to project. Yeah, I, that's that all sounds right. So I think both of us, were, we're feeling pretty good about catcher, um, above average. I think 13th in projections might be low as long as Darno is healthy, but I also get it because the backups are non-entities at this moment in time in the major leagues. Okay, uh, first base should be an easy one, Scott. Uh, Freddie Freeman... Reigning, reigning MVP. Uh, the Braves are projected, and not a surprising twist whatsoever, number one in baseball at first base, and by a lot, because Freddie is the best first baseman in the league. Um, the numbers last year are out of this world, a 187 WRC+, plus, just insane. Um, a OPS north of 1,100, which is insane. Um, he was the most valuable hitter in baseball last year overall, the only guy who was better than him at the plate on a per at bat basis was Juan Soto, so that kind of tells you like how good Freddie was. And with that said, like his projection is down from that because it has to be. But even then, he's projected he's projected for four and a half WAR. And if you know how these projections work, they usually bring everybody down a little bit. So if you're good enough to be projected for four and a half WAR, you're a superstar. So I guess the only real question with Freeman is like what's his level now? Because he was so out of this world last year that, you know, he's been awesome for a long time. I pulled this stat. He is sixth in baseball in Fangraphs war in the last eight seasons. So he's been a top 10 player conservatively for the last eight years in baseball. Like we know he's that. Can he be an MVP candidate again? I guess the only question, I guess that, that health, (laughs) I don't know. So you're not worried about his 150 batting average this spring? I absolutely do not care. Uh, I, be- <laughs> I, I guess I knew that because somebody mentioned it the other day, like Freddie's struggling. I saw, I saw a headline. I was like, you know what? You remember what? This is the other thing about last season. Freddie had COVID and arrived like on opening day with like no ramp up at all. Yeah, and yeah. granted, he was pretty bad for like two weeks and then he was God after that. But it's uh No. Long and short of it, Scott, I'm not concerned about Freddie Freeman's spring training. <laughs> uh, spring training. Yeah, at this point, Freddie Freeman, certified superstar. Maybe he's not quite the same MVP out of his mind that he was last summer for two months, but there's nothing here to suggest that he's going the wrong way by any means. He is such a complete hitter. He's really just kind of... He's really almost kind of emerged into a Chipper Jones in the sense that he really doesn't have any flaw or weakness at the plate. He doesn't strike out a ton. He, I believe last summer he had more walks than strikeouts. Uh, he has power to all fields. He doesn't get pull happy. He doesn't always try to go the other way. I mean, he's just a remarkable hitter. And really over the last decade to see Freddie 
progress and really go from kind of a good under the radar player to an under the radar star to rightfully being named MVP a year ago has been really fun to watch. And uh, by all accounts, a really good person. Honestly, the biggest question I have is whether or not uh, the contract extension gets done here in the next eight or nine days. And we'll see if that gets announced or if they announce it during the season. But as far as an on, on field product goes, I don't think there's any reason to, uh, think twice about Freddie. Yes, I would. I would agree with that. The only the only question is just how good. But obviously, he'll be awesome. Uh, briefly here, we should bring this up just because to cover our bases. Fangraphs projects basically nothing for anybody else at first base, nor should they, because Freddie's been very durable in his career. Um, my question to you would be: What happens if Freddie has to miss two weeks for whatever reason? Um, just so we cover this, yeah. it, it almost has to be some combination of Lamb and Riley. I guess mm-hmm. like it used to be like Mark Hickus was the break was the breaking case of emergency first baseman. Um, now it's probably lamb, I guess on the current roster. That's a little bit scary that there really isn't like a <laughs> plug and play option there. Uh, any, I mean, it's obviously if Freddie gets down, if Freddie goes down, like that's not good regardless, right. but uh, right. it's just worth noting. They don't really have a backup first baseman. Yeah. I, I would assume between lamb and Riley, they, they would probably, I mean, I don't know Would they rotate over there. Would they, yeah, I'm guessing at some point both guys have, have gotten a couple reps at first base. It is certainly the easiest position to throw somebody into at the last minute. But yeah, as you said, if if Freddie Freeman gets hurt for any extended part of time, it's going to be very bad. So let's let's hope we don't have to get there. But I guess, as you said, to cover our base, I would assume it's probably Jake Lamb and they keep Riley at third. I would imagine he's the superior defender at third base and Third is, of course, much more important defensively than first. Uh, so that would be my guess as well. Yep, I just want to make sure we said that out loud. Uh, maybe it was Zuna at first. I'm just saying. If it was like That's, a, uh, you you, a, you wouldn't do huh. that unless unless it was a long term injury, you wouldn't do that. Obviously, and we are certainly hoping that is not going to be the case for Freddie Freeman. How tall is yeah? How tall is Marcel? Not I mean, that obviously, tall. Hi, yeah, like six foot maybe. I'm I mean, looking this up now because I actually don't know the answer. Uh, yeah, Marcelo Zuna is, uh, is six uh, one listed. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you don't have to be a tree to play first base. It's but more it about hiding him more than anything health. else. Like maybe, yeah. maybe he could just be let, like not a complete disaster. I have no idea. That's just me <laughs> guessing out loud. And again, this is something that you would never do unless it was like a three month injury for Freddie. Yeah. Or you wouldn't even think about it. I just uh, that popped in my head, so I don't know why I said there it out loud. Go. But there you go. Okay, <laughs> moving along from there, Freddie Freeman, good. Uh, second base, this is interesting to me. Not not surprisingly, because we're very high on Ozzy Albies, but Fangrass projects the Braves number one at second base, which is uh, interesting. They yep. were 20th last season. Granted, that was only about a half season of Ozzy. He played in 29 games. It was a down year for him, and he was still pretty good. He had a 103 WRC+. He was a very solid player um, defensively as well, and he's projected to be much better than that. In fact, Fangrass has him projected for almost four wins, which is pretty impressive. Um, given how not incredibly great he was last year. The projection there is better than his career numbers actually are, but um, also worse than his 2019 numbers were, which he was great two years ago. Ozzy's a guy that I feel like we haven't, we haven't talked about a ton just because he was kind of asset out of mind for a lot for lots of last season. And he was good, but not light years good. I don't even know what to say. Like, I think it's encouraging to me that he's number, that they're projecting number one at second base. I think he's had an argument for a while as the best second baseman in the league, but yeah. uh, I'm just not sure that he's definitely there. I think he's definitely in the mix, <laughs> but I, I don't know what to make of Ozzy after last season, which is crazy because it was such a small sample size that it's not concerning to me. Like we know he's awesome. It's just that we haven't talked about him a lot. Yeah. The, the good news there. I mean, I remember doing, a podcast with you at some point, I think it was maybe middle of August where I was like legitimately angry about how the Braves were handling Ozzy. And he was just going up there swinging a wet noodle. I mean, he had no strength in that wrist and it was to the point. It's like, they're going to ruin this poor kid's career by playing him through this stupid wrist injury. And we see it because they've done that with other talented young players before. Uh, The good news of course, is that once Ozzy came back in, the middle of September, whenever it was, he looked much, much better. He had a couple of home runs in the postseason, of course, a big one in the ninth inning uh, in the first game of the NLCS. So, yes, I, I think you have to hope. And, and obviously, by all accounts, he looks good this spring. His wrist looks to be healthy. Um, 
but yeah, you're right. It's, it's interesting. I don't know if we've talked about Ozzy really at all this winter. And I think we just, in the back of our minds, we pencil him in as being this really good second baseman, but you're right. We haven't given him a ton of, of press, but I think that's because we know how good and how reliable he's been in his young career whenever he's, whenever he's feeling good. Yeah. As long as he's healthy, you know, he's 24 years old. The contract is the heist of the century, all that stuff that we've talked about a number of times, but I'm encouraged to see him just be healthy again to start the season and be good. Obviously, that's kind of a broad thing for this. And this whole season is going to be kind of strange in a good way. After last year's sprint, it's like back to normal-ish with regard to baseball every day for six months. And uh, maybe Ozzy benefits from that. Like he's just kind of a, I wouldn't say he's necessarily steady, but he's he's really good. And we kind of know that. So defensively, he's safely very good as well. I don't know where the bat like lands. Like the projection, just for the reference, just for reference, is a 347 Woba, slugging almost 500. Um, you know, if that's what he does and ends up being a three and a half four win player, that isn't gonna like get a ton of stories written about him. But he'll be a top five second baseman in the league. Does that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like someone's gonna be better than that in baseball in terms of the second of second base and um, maybe all star stuff or whatever you want to say. But if he just does that, like no one should complain. Like he, if he's just the guy, like. Between 2019 and 2020, somewhere in the middle there, is a really good player that's, you know, their fourth best player, basically. Or maybe even third best player. I mean, there's a chance, broadly speaking, that he's their third best player. I mean, obviously obviously Ozuna was incredible last year, but it certainly would not surprise me if Ozzy was better than Ozuna this year. It shouldn't surprise anybody, honestly. Well, and, and he's in a golden situation. Because think about, he has Ronald Acuna Jr. betting ahead of him. And assuming he's betting second, you're going to have Freddie Freeman and Marcel Ozuna hitting behind you. I mean, he is going to get a ton of stuff to hit. Yep. Uh, we've seen what he can do. I mean, he's honestly one of like the best hitters in baseball when he's batting right-handed. Just the absurd numbers he has against lefties. Um, he is out of his mind against them. And again, he, he should be given every opportunity. And um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think... I think with Ozzy too, outside of just offensively, the defense is so, so good. Right. A great base runner, uh, has power, um, you know, on base. He, he probably could up his on base percentage a little bit. It would certainly help the Braves as a whole if he was getting on base at a high rate ahead of Freddie and Ozuna and Darno. But yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can say. As you said, he has just an incredible contract, just a very good, complete young player, and you hope. At age 24, he is by far a finished product that he can continue to get better and move on from that wrist injury. Yeah, so you know, 24 year old star level shortstop. Sorry, star level second base. That was a 40 and slip because I still, I still, I still believe. <laughs> I was gonna say, I that's, still believe that's you speaking into existence. We yeah. did this a few weeks ago. We were kind of joking, and I was leaning into it a little bit uh, on Twitter. But uh, about what, what if Dansby got hurt, what would happen? And Ooh. Just saying, Ozzy to shortstop, the dream lives. Um, okay, that was uh, that was my obligatory mention of Ozzy playing shortstop. Uh, in fact, let's go to shortstop. Uh, Dansby Swanson is the incumbent starter. The Braves were seventh last season at shortstop in Fangraphs War. They're projected 20th. So that tells you that the numbers don't necessarily buy Dansby as being great, although they still think he's going to be solid. So last year... He was awesome, honestly, like kind of sneakily even better than I remembered him being. Not that we didn't know he was good, but he had a 116 WRC plus and was worth 1.9 Fangraphs war in 60 games. That's very, very good. Um, he had a career high strikeout rate, but was career best in slugging, um, second best in OBP. And the projections haven't taken a slight step back from that, actually only being worth two war for the season after basically being worth that last year. That wouldn't be a mess in my view. Like if you... I think I've said this exact thing before. I know you have as well. If Dansby's just a two-win player, that's not bad, but no one will be excited about it. So it's like kind of that middle ground where I can't tell you that's going to be a disaster if he just lives up to that projection. <laughs> but if he does that, you'll definitely hear a round or three or 12 of, is Dansby the guy at shortstop long-term? So it's kind of the, it's, sure. a, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Like he's got to be not quite what he was last year. Cause that's, I mean, if he's capable of doing that for sure. But if he's just an above-average starter, we'll probably be okay with it. But there's this notion that he's not living up to this potential, I guess. I don't know. He's, he's always such a weird player. But last year, he was good. I want to make sure that we know that he was oh, yeah. legitimately good last year. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at his numbers. He was on pace to be a five-war shortstop. I mean, those don't grow on trees, and they don't grow on trees, especially when they're making uh, their second year of arbitration money, right? Um, I don't know what to expect with Dansby. As we said a little earlier, when he's healthy, I think we feel pretty good about him. I think he could be a five-war shortstop, and this is, of course, on the better end of, of expectations or projections. But I think if he can stay healthy and do what he did last year, he's going to be a four- to five-win shortstop, no problem. And I think then you can probably count on him to be the Braves' shortstop of the future. I think then he would have shown that once he can avoid injury, he's that guy. Uh, but again, he's never done it over a full year before. And I know Dansby Defenders and I have gone back and forth a little <laughs> bit. And the reason that these projection models aren't super high on him is, yes, he had a great two months last year. He had a great two and a half months in 2019. We just don't know. And he's been streaky by nature. We've all seen it. He has stretches where he gets three hits every night. And then he'll go three weeks and go two for 50. And we're like, oh, my goodness, is he ever going to get a hit again? That's just the way some hitters are. They're incredibly streaky. Marcelo Zuna historically has kind of been the same way, though he, he was not that case last year. Um, but, yeah, big year for Dansby. Uh, two years from becoming a free agent. So, of course, I'm sure that's starting to creep into his mind a little bit as well. Um, but, yes, a big year for him. And if he's if he's batting six more times than not, he's going to have a million and a half opportunities to break a game open with all the good hitters in front of him. Uh, a very important player for the Braves, and let's hope Dansby can stay healthy. Yeah, so optimistically, he's gotten better in four consecutive seasons. So you can't assume linear growth for the rest of his career. But, you know, after he broke out when he first arrived and it was awesome in that 38-game sample in 2016, he was very bad in 2017, pretty bad in 2018, just fine in 2019, and then legitimately good last year. So it's like he won't continue to just be like that but that's just there's been some linear growth here and he's still for as long as he's been around he just turned 27 so he's kind of right in the middle of his sweet spot of his prime the durability thing is a question mark like he's not been incredibly injury prone but he's played 144 136 and then 127 before last year now he did play every game last season and actually led the major leagues and it bats. Not played appearances, but it bats. So he was on the field a lot, which is good. That, that's, that was a good stepping stone for him to be durable, to be out there every day. I'm sure he won't play all 162 this year, but it'd be good to see him like put together like 150 games of solid consistency in terms of baseball. But I'm with you. He's. I think there's always going to be a streaky element with him. It's just kind of managing what that looks yeah. like. Well, and they don't need Dansby to be a star, no. which is good. I think that's a very real thing that young players – particularly ones who are taken number one overall. And he had that weird, he was drafted and then traded. And of course he went to Nash or went to Nashville, went to Vandy <laughs> and is from the Atlanta area. I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of expectations and pressure that comes with that. And um, being able to slot in a little bit lower in the order, hopefully again, uh, I'm repeating myself, but man, if, if he can just avoid the injury bug, he's always had, whenever he has been hurt, it, it's been just kind of a random mismosh of, of things. Um, it's not like he consistently has a bad oblique or he has bad ankles or something like that. Um, it, it's just kind of been a weird variety of sorts. And hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, he can give the Braves, as you said, even if he's just an above average, good, steady shortstop, he plays great defense, good base runner great athlete. Um, if he can provide some pop in the middle of the order, uh, it'd be a big, big boost. Yeah, that's probably enough on Dansby, but he is, uh, he's a pivot point, to be sure. I think he's not the biggest X-factor, which we can litigate later on, but he is one of them in terms of upside with the lineup, because if he's just solid, it's totally fine, but we saw last year what he's capable of in a smaller sample, so we'll see. Uh, the next one that I want to get to is third base, and this is the single biggest question mark. There are other question marks too. But last season, the Atlanta Braves were dead last in Major League Baseball at third base in terms of Fangraphs war. They were worth negative wow. 0.5 <laughs> Fangraphs war. A lot of that's Riley. It wasn't all Riley, but they were really, really bad last year at third base overall. Um, this year, they're projected to be 25th. So it's better than 30th, but that's obviously the worst spot for Atlanta. Um, well, actually, they're 26th in center field, which we'll get to in a second. But that's that's more of an interesting one because Pache is going to be 
a thing. Anyway, um, that projection of 25th has Riley as the main guy at 500 plate appearances with Jake Lamb for about 150, and then the rest between Camargo and Adrianza. So there's some there's some noise in there. Um, Riley's projected for 1.2 WAR, which is better than he was last season, but also not particularly good for a semi full time starter. Um, he will be 24 in a couple of weeks, but at this moment in time, Riley has a career 87 WRC plus. And for a guy that is billed as a bat first, you know, power bat guy, his defense is actually defensively. He's better than I thought he was going to be, but he's not like great either. So he's, he's just got to hit. I mean, we all know that, but he just, he has to hit. He has a career 288 on base percentage. That's tough to live with unless you're just absolutely mashing. And the power is real. We all know that, but he's got to put something together. This is a big year for him. I think we all know that, but this is kind of it for Riley in terms of like, if he's not, (laughs) if he's not a, at least like a one and a half, two war player this year, like his days as Braves full-time starter are probably over. I mean, it doesn't mean he won't bounce around. I mean, he could be somewhere else and play later. He's still going to be pretty young, but I can't imagine if he struggles mightily again this year that they're just going to let him keep doing this every year. So for him individually, it's a big season. We all know that, but it's just kind of, that's what it is. It's weird to say this about a guy who will turn 24 years old next week, but you're absolutely right. I mean, he plays at a premium position, especially offensively. And while he has about 500 plate appearances at the big league level under his belt, um, I know there were some things that he improved upon a year ago. The strikeout rate was cut almost in the, by third, which was great. He did walk a little bit more, um, but his power went down. If you look at his batted ball stuff, he hit the ball on the ground more often than he did the year before, which is with his power profile and the way the baseball just flies out of parks is not a good sign, right? Like you hit a ball on the ground, your chances of it being a hit are so much less than if you rocket one as a line drive or hit it in the air with his power. Um, So yeah, I I have no idea if you're telling me in a year that we're talking about Austin Riley, who just had a big time three war season. I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking in June about who the Braves are going to pursue at third base at the trade deadline, I wouldn't be surprised either. I mean, I really, I think there's so many ranges and outcomes with Riley. Um, Maybe I know he has bounced around a little bit defensively, maybe being at third base every day will help with that. He's not as worried and he's, he can kind of take it off a little bit. He's not worried about transitioning to left field. Maybe that'll help, but man, there are so many different uh, outcomes with Riley. And I don't think anyone really has a great read or feel on it. Um, but we'll see. I, I think he obviously it makes things a lot easier for Atlanta if he has a good year. But I'm with you. I think if he struggles, I don't think it's out of the question that they could make a midseason adjustment. Um, and then, of course, as they do with every player on the roster, I think in a year's time, if he has a bad a bad 2020 or 2021, uh, they will have to make an adjustment, even though he's only 24. You can't wait around forever when you're in a World Series window. Yeah, they're trying to contend, which is kind of the looming thing there. Um, you know, if you're a long-time listener, you'll know that I- I've never been the biggest Riley guy in the world. I don't think he's bad either in terms of a prospect, but I was never, like, over the moon. But I, I say that because I'm about to give him some um, some context that I think will help. He's actually played more innings in the outfield defensively than third base in the major leagues. Did you know that? So. Uh- no, but that, that's a great that, that's a great stat. I would have bet the under on that for sure. Yeah, so, yeah it's that's, it's, that's uh, it's 515 innings in the outfield and 421 at third. Also 61 at first, which I had kind of forgotten that happened. Um, but it was, I think, while Freddie was out. Anyway, um, maybe it will help him settle. This might be overrated, it probably is, to just kind of only play third and only do that because unless there's an injury, he's not going to left um, for any reason because Ozuna's got to play there. And, uh, you know, maybe that sells him down. And again, it, as much as I'm not been over the moon, I th- even I thought he'd be better than he's, what he's been so far. So I yeah. think the talent, the talent is better than what he's been. That's kind of what most can agree on. And it's maybe he just gets, he, he is the guy. I mean, I, I, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're going to play Jake Lamb there a little bit. Maybe he won't play, maybe he won't be Riley every single day at third base at the start of the season, but he'll, he's going to play more often than he sits. And he's, he's the star. He's the starter. He's only playing one position. He's 24 years old. It's a good time for him to like just come into his own a little here. So if you want to be optimistic, 
it's pretty easy to do that. This is a guy who still was a pretty big prospect. It wasn't like he was Christian Pache, like a top 10 prospect, but mm-hmm. like a top 50 guy, like real talent. The We've seen him be awesome for a couple weeks at a time. There was that one stretch where he was just absolutely mashing home runs every night, basically. So that's not real either, probably. But you can see, it's like, like you kind of said, it's easy to see a world in which Riley is a solid starting third baseman this year. Like a two-and-a-half yeah. win player. If that happens, like... The Braves are in fantastic shape. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be awesome. It's kind of like Dansby, but even on a lower level, just be mm-hmm. solid. Like don't just don't go out and have a two seventy five OBP. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I think Austin can get there. As you said, he has a guy. He's a guy who uh, continually got better as he moved through the minors. Defensively, he is much better. I, you talked about he's been better than what we expected. I think he has really improved himself. He's gotten himself in great shape. He was kind of pudgy and not super athletic when he was in the lower levels of the minors and he's in tremendous shape now for being a big guy um yeah i mean i want austin to succeed um i think it's interesting that who knows what exactly the braves and anthopolis had to work with this winter with in terms of money and finances but they they did not go out and add a legitimate third base competitor. I mean, Jake nope. Lamb has not been healthy in four years. I mean, that's not that's not a, that's not a guy. I mean, they, they had to do something. Right. Jake Lamb's not a competitor right. for Austin Riley right now. No, or at least he shouldn't be. I right. mean, Riley should be able to put him in the rearview mirror, or even Johan Camargo for that matter. Um, Whew, that, and, should, that ship has sailed. I, th- I hope that ship has sailed. Honestly, I hope that ship has sailed in terms of yeah. like a competition. I remember those days finally. It wasn't that long ago. It was like Riley or Camargo at third base, and now it's kind of not that anymore. And I think at this point, I mean, maybe they work in Jake Lamb like against Jacob deGrom, right? Like if it's just a brutal right-handed starter, maybe they try to work Lamb in there a couple times just to give Riley a breather. But I think at this point, you almost have to play Riley every night at third base. You have a good enough lineup with your top six and maybe even seven if Pache is good that you can kind of survive probably if he's striking out a bunch and is kind of figuring it out a little bit. Um, I, I would be in favor of letting Austin play just about every night, the first couple months of the year. And and I think by June or July, we should have a pretty good idea of where he is long-term. Agreed. Uh, all right. We'll leave that now. Riley and Swanson back to back was uh, not on purpose, but those guys are interesting pivot points. Yeah. This will be a shorter one. Marcelo Zuna. Left field, we've, we've discussed him a lot because he just signed the deal, so we spent a full podcast or podcast and a half on him. You know, he's projected to be the second-best second best left fielder in baseball by Fangraphs. Um, at the plate, we all know what he is. He probably isn't going to be as good as he was last year because he was unbelievable. But a guy who's always had better batted ball stats than production until last season. And then they matched up. Like, he just mashes the ball. Um, his projection is back down. This is funny. Back down to a two, sorry, to a eight seventy seven OPS, um, which is <laughs> if he does that. I mean, we said we said this on the on the contract podcast, but if he just regresses ten percent, it's fifteen percent. It's he's still awesome and it's worth the contract. You know, the defense is questionable to be sure. We all know that, but um, I have nothing else to say on Ozuna. Like he's going to be good. Yeah. I think. I just think people have to be realistic with what he's what his expectations are because I think you know guys like Freeman. We he's been around for so long. He's beloved in the fan base. I can see a world in which Azuna has a slow start. People start turning on him, which is so stupid. But it, I can see that happening just because it's only only one year of being like incredible. And I think you know the big you know the quote unquote big contract, which which actually wasn't that big. But you know how this works. Like any any time a guy gets four oh, years. Sure. Uh, if he if he starts out poorly, people might start whispering a little bit. But uh, I would not worry. I think Ozuna is going to be good. Yeah, I do too. He all of his batted ball profile shows he was in the 98th percentile for so many things last year, and he's been a guy really his whole career that he was just hitting the ball really really hard. He was that guy in Miami, a little bit of a lesser extent in St. Louis, though it doesn't sound like that was the best situation all the way around there. If you read between the lines a little bit. And then, of course, we know he went nuclear last year. So I'm with you. I, I don't see any reason why Ozuna is going to uh, come crashing down. He probably, I'm sorry to say, but probably won't be like the second best hitter in baseball again like he was the last summer. But He also uh, triple crown. I mean, he was actually a triple crown candidate yeah. last season, yeah. which is insane. <laughs> yeah. he, he was out of his mind last year. Uh, of course, going to give a million opportunities to drive in runs considering who's batting ahead of him. 
but yeah, you just hope that the defense doesn't sting you too, too much. And it's, it's probably not going to be great, but the bat makes up for it tenfold. As we talked about all off season long, they had to bring in a, a premier bat to bat cleanup in this order. And I think Marcel is that guy and you just hope that defense is okay. And you, you can work around him a little bit in the later innings as well. So I, I certainly think we'll be in for another good year. Agreed. And we made this point before, but uh, as we go to, as we go to center field here, part of the theory of Ozuna in left is that you have potentially a gold glove level center fielder in Christian Pache. Um, and that's where we'll start here. Pache's bat is up for debate to be sure. Um, but <laughs> just for the a look behind the scenes on, on our notes document that Scott and I maintain, um, I wrote in bold letters, good luck projecting this about center field. <laughs> yep. Just because, you know, on one hand, Pache is really talented, top 10 prospect. The defense is going to play up. We kind of, we kind of have seen that already in the major leagues and all the pedigree stuff is there, but I quite frankly have no idea if he'll hit or not as a rookie. And, you know, he's still a rookie this year. He, I know he came up last year, but I would suspect, and my general baseline is that he's not going to hit, honestly. It's just how bad is it, how bad is it going to be? Is it going to be playable? Because his defense is so good that they and they need it so badly with Ozuna and left, and there are no other options to where, you know, there's kind of a large margin for error for Christian, I think. Yeah. At the same time, his projection for fan graphs is 246, 296, 404 which is a 700 OPS. And honestly, I'm not saying that would be good, but that's fine for what his defense is going to be. I think yeah. if he does that, he's a like competent starter. Like that's not exciting because his defense is, I mean, they haven't projected for 0.2 war. I will say this right now. If he has 700 OPS, he's worth more than 0.2 war. Oh, pa- Pache's glove in center field is going to be by all accounts is going to be, big plus at a premium position. So I think that's worth considering. Like he doesn't have to hit. He just has to be like semi-decent. Yeah. And I think the good news here, kind of like Riley is, you're going to be able to hide him a little bit at the bottom of your order. Now, inevitably it's going to feel like the biggest situation of every game is going to somehow find its way to Christian. Right. And he's going to get all all the bright lights are going to be on him, but the defense is just, even if the Braves had a great defensive left fielder, I, I still think maybe it wouldn't take on as much of an importance, but because you have Ozuna as a major liability over there, you're really going to need Pache to cover that left center gap. Um, I, I'm with you. I'm a little skeptical that he's going to be able to hit or at least hit right off the bat. I don't think it's going to be a situation where he sets the world on fire right away. And he has not had a good spring, to be certain. Nope. You, you don't want to overanalyze 35 plate appearances, but he has been pretty bad. Um, but because defensively, I, I think it just makes up for so much else. If he's batting eighth, maybe he gets a little bit more to hit batting eighth ahead of the pitcher, assuming they don't throw in the DH at the last second here. Uh, I, I think I would certainly prefer to have Pache in center, see what he can do, and have Ender serving as your your fourth outfielder in emergency insurance uh, compared to the other alternative of having Pache off the bench, which just seems like a waste to me. Yeah. It needs to be Pache. Even, you know, I guess to their credit, even as Pache has not hit in the spring, there hasn't been a lot of buzz that he's not going to start the season as a starter, which I appreciate. I mean, maybe they'll throw a curveball and anger us all if by changing that, but it seems like everyone's still thinking he's going to be the guy at opening day, which yeah, he should be. And that's what they should do. Um, by the way, Ender and Ciarte had a 40, WRC plus last season. Granted, it was a small sample size, but man, that Ooh. was bad. Um, yeah. And one, one more number on Ender in case people, I know there actually, there are still a couple of Ender people out there that I've seen on Twitter. I'm not sure how at this point, but he has an 84 WRC plus in the last three seasons. So even if you want to be more charitable, he's not going to be able to hit. And defensively, while Ender used to be awesome and we, we used to sing his praises regularly, he's maybe better than average at this point. Still, maybe, He's not Christian Pache. Christian Pache yeah. is supposed to be ridiculous. And we've seen a lo- that a little bit. And the one thing I wanted to say about his bat before we move on is that I was in, this is a small sample size. I don't want to make too much of it, but I was encouraged on some level that Pache was competitive at the plate in the playoffs. Granted. It's, oh yeah. But yeah, like, he held his own. Yeah. He, he wasn't great, but he didn't get blown away. And that is a small thing. Again, I'm, it's probably shouldn't even say this out loud, but it's more narrative-y, but I, I was encouraged by that. Even sure. even so, 
prospects, especially non-elite hitting prospects, I'm going to assume they're going to be bad at the plate until they're not. So I assume he's not going to be able to hit very well this year. If he, if he does, then that's gravy. But go out there, bring your glove to work, Christian. That's all you, <laughs> all you need to do is bring your, bring your glove to work, shade a little bit to left center, get out of base sometimes, it'll be fine. Well, and you have to remember, too, with prospects in his situation, he hasn't really seen live pitching in like 20 months. Except for the playoffs. I know he <laughs> – and, and even then, it was what seven games? What, he, what did he get in those seven games? Eighteen plate appearances or something yeah, like not, that? Not I mean, a lot. Uh, yeah. So again, it's not. Last year was so so weird, and everybody's playing by the same set of rules. I get it, um, but I think my, what I'm getting at is, if, if he doesn't set the world on fire right away, if he's not batting 400 on Memorial Day, you're gonna have to be patient with him. Maybe he emerges into a Ronald Acuna clone, but I think ultimately Pache is going to be a big leaguer for a long time because of his glove. And you just kind of hope that he hits enough and provides some power in the bottom of your order uh, because you would you would like to be in a situation where all of his offense is just kind of gravy or, or you know, cherry on top of the ice cream. The defense is just otherworldly and at such a valuable position like center field you just hope that he holds his own and, and you can't expect anything crazy for him. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of how, how bad it would have to be at the plate for him to stop playing. And for me, it's like, this is too arbitrary, but like somewhere in like the low 600s to OPS, that's how bad it would have to be for him to not play. Honestly. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe in a larger sample, it would be higher than that, but for this year, with no ba- with no backup that scares you, I just don't think I think there's a lot of leeway there. At least there should be. So we'll see what happens. But uh, hopefully Christian will prove us yeah. wrong and he'll, and he'll hit a little bit, and it'll be <laughs> not a concern. But still, the Braves are projected by the way, bottom five in center field in the league, and most of that's Pache with a little bit of Ender sprinkled in. So keep your expectations low, I will say overall. But the glove does help quite a bit. All right, all right. Last position. This is also an easy one, and it is Ronald Acuna Jr. in right field he's projected well I I shouldn't say he the Braves are projected for third best in the baseball in right field but that's behind the Dodgers which is Mookie Betts and the Nats which is Juan Soto so not really a concern (laughs) to be third (laughs) good Uh, company and uh most of those plate appearances are Ronald uh he's projected for 5.3 Fangraphs war which is a lot for a projection because usually there's a pretty middling um last year he was Still really, really good, despite having, by all accounts, like, not even, like, an unbelievable year by his standards, which is insane. Like, he was tied for 13th in baseball in Fangraph's war, and I just said it wasn't a great year. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, MVP candidate for sure. Like, doesn't mean, doesn't mean he'll win it or even that he'll compete in it, but I think the, the only debate is, like, who's better between Ronnie and Freddie, which is not, a, like, that, that that's a good problem, I think. Yeah, I think... When you're talking about just sheer upside, I'm not sure there's a player in Major League Baseball with a higher upside than Ron Lacuna Jr. I mean, do you agree with that? Just with his as a full-time player, like yeah, as a yeah five tool. Like I, I, th- I do think, and not to do this whole thing again. I think Juan Soto is a better hitter than Ronald Lacuna, but Ronald is better. Is better at everything else. And yeah. like yeah, you, you could talk about bets. You could talk about. Lindor or Tatis or I mean obviously Mike Trout exists in life so Mike Mike Trout is still the guy but (laughs) that fella but yeah I mean at a bare minimum Ronnie might be capable of like a nine or ten win season at some point in his career like he's that kind of guy where if he puts it all together for six months the one thing last year they didn't do was hit for average and then he walked 15 percent of the time so it didn't matter so like Mm -hmm. he has no weaknesses at this point in time yeah at his age, it's, it's it's honestly like I laugh because it's just so absurd. But he he's scary good in a way that it's like hard to talk about without saying the same thing over and over again. He just doesn't have anything you're worried about, really. Well, and you hope. I mean, he he did that last year. He had the wrist injury. Yeah. Um, I know. I think it was Jason Stark of ESPN, longtime reporter, reported earlier that the Braves feel really, really good about where Ronnie is at this spring. Sounds like he's dropped about 15 pounds, which which would presumably only help him. Uh, he's adjusted his swing a little bit. He launched a ball for a home run on the early 
on the inner half that was always good. He's, he's gotten exposed on the inner half a little bit at times in his career. Um, but yeah, again, there's the sky is the limit for him. If you're telling me that in six months we're going to be talking about him as a runaway MVP candidate, it would not surprise me. Um, he has been a little inconsistent at times. He's kind of like Dansby. He's streaky. He's on one of his good streaks right now in the spring. And I think uh, we've seen just how, I mean, he can literally single-handedly carry the Braves for days on end when he's in one of his stretches where it seems like you look at the box score and he had three hits with a homer and a double. <laughs> um, I mean, he'll have stretches where he, he's not making great contact, but yes, I, I think he, he certainly has that MVP upside. You hope that he can avoid the, the wrist issue that was bothering him a year ago. And uh, out of that leadoff spot, I'm not sure there's a more dynamic player in baseball and should be in for a great year. Yeah, it's well said. I mean, to wrap this all up, I think that, you know, the lineup is still the strength of the team. Um, maybe you, maybe, maybe you'll disagree with me, but I, I doubt that you will. Um, it's still the strength of the team. The only, I mean, there's, there's some pivot points here. It's like, are the Braves the best lineup in baseball like they were last year, or at least the top two lineup in baseball like they were last year, or do they kind of regress down to the five to 10 range? And that that's a big swing. You know, they, they won the division last year because the lineup was awesome and the bullpen was awesome. And, that could happen again and the rotation should be better. All that stuff. We'll, and we'll do our final predictions next week, but I have no doubt the Braves are going to be good offensively. And as an overall position player group, the only real question is like whether they're going to be Uber elite or just good. Do you have thoughts on where this group actually lands? Like was last year real to be a top two offense in the league? I think it's certainly possible. I mean, there, there's a wide range, as we've talked about for almost, what, an hour and a half now. There's a wide range of outcomes with a handful of these guys. But yes, I, I think this is this group has the potential to be in the top three. I mean, is it crazy to say that in a year's time, if this is the best lineup in baseball, would it, is it impossible? No. I mean, they, they, there's some really good lineups out there, to be certain. But I do think there's also a little bit of a... Um, a realistic expectation for some regression from some of these guys from Darno, You can't pencil in Marcelo Zuna and Freddie Freeman to just be ungodly again. But even if that does happen and you say, well, yes, but you get a better year out of Aussie, you get a more consistent year out of Acuna. Um, th- there's just so much talent in this and maybe Riley or Pache take a step forward. Um, I-, I think this is easily a top five lineup in the game with, with a lot of upside. That sounds right to me. Um, we did it a little bit earlier, but there are guys who you would think would be, you know, the same or worse, and there are guys that should be, you would think, a little bit better. At the end of the day, you want to avoid injuries. Depth is not a huge strength. I will say that. The bench, as we've discussed numerous times, is not elite, so health is going to be big for this group. But as long as the top five or six guys are relatively healthy, there are not a lot of concerns with this lineup. They're, the bottom guys are not necessarily going to be fantastic. But there's enough upside to where, you know, if every if everything broke right, even in a like ninety percent outcome, not, not even hundred percent, number one offensive baseball is like not out of the question. More 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 realistically, is more like what Fangraphs has, which is like five or six in baseball. Yeah. That's which fine. should be fine. Yeah, I mean, with with a rotation that looks good on paper and a, I guess we'll say the top end of the bullpen that looks pretty good. I the, think the top, it the top be five anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> looks right. fine. Uh, yeah, I mean that, that's the that's the thing. Last year, like like we've said a number of times, it was it was the lineup and it was the bullpen and the rotation was just ghastly for most of the season. You're looking for a more balanced approach between between the three units this year, as we've all kind of discussed. Um, but I mean, the offense is still the best part of this team, like kind of without question. So you're leaning on that. They need it to be good, but it should be. So. Yeah, that's all we got. We're probably done. I think on this uh, as we go into the hour and three minute mark, Scott. Um, if you have any final thoughts, please share them. If not, if you written anything, please plug that as well. Tell people where they can find your stuff. As we might have some new listeners closer to the season, so there we plug, go. Plug your stuff. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope uh, I appreciate. We we really do appreciate you guys sticking with us over the winter months. It's certainly not as fun when you're like chasing rumors and hoping for free agent activity. Uh, especially the way it worked out with Morton and Smiley early on and then Ozuna at the last minute. But, hey, it is what it is. But, yes, uh, thanks as always, Brad, for having me on. Be sure to check out the site, TalkingChop.com. We'll have daily recaps. 
Uh, I think pretty soon here we're doing the roundtable questions with the entire Talking Chop staff, which are always good. Yep. Um, and then if you want my random musings on Bill Walton getting the last laugh about the Pac-12 and the NCAA tournament, uh, I'm on Twitter at Scott Coleman 55. Scott, the world's number one Sean Miller enthusiast. Uh, Sacramento Kings fan. What else? What else? What else? I'm an Atlanta Hawks fan. I love my Hawks. Our our Hawks. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And my Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, your Michigan Wolverines. No, it's uh, thanks for thanks for doing this, Scott. As always, but yeah, like like you said, check out the site, everybody. Uh, also, shouts to the Road to Atlanta guys who've been recording um, pretty regularly the last couple of weeks. So, Eric, Garav, Matt, um, all the all, Garrett, everybody that's on that podcast feed, it's, it's in this feed. So, you probably have already seen it. If not, listen to those shows. Those guys teach us stuff about minor league stuff. I, neither yeah. one of us are minor league experts. Those guys actually are. So, if you want a whole the whole <laughs> mix of all of that, check out all of our podcasts or at least download them if you'd like to do all of that. Subscribe, rate, review. Tell your friends, follow Scott, follow me if you'd like to, follow Talking Chop, and we'll see you all next time.